You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. To a conversation about faith. About faith. About faith. Regardless of your background or even where you are right now. If you're looking for a connection, a place to grow, to ask questions, build relationships, this is for you. If you're new to faith, or new to Curtis Lake, or maybe returning after a season away, this is for you. You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. To starting. Um, we are today beginning a brand new series called Things Jesus Never Said. Things Jesus never said. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the expressions that we have in popular culture today. Things that perhaps you have had said to you. Perhaps things that you've said yourself. And try to debunk the idea that Jesus would ever have said such a thing as that. Uh, I had sent out a poll to our ministry partners, a group of 130-something people last week with 16 or 17 different possibilities, uh, some, some phrases that I had said to them. Here's are th some things that Jesus never said. Now help me craft what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And so they responded. And interestingly, uh, one of the things that I had put on there was, Jesus never said, I don't care about your sex life. And that got very few votes which either means nobody really cares about the subject or something that I really need to talk about. I'm not sure. Uh, I would think that if you ever had a chance to make your pastor talk about sex from the, from the platform, that that'd be something you'd like to hear. But apparently we're going to skip over that one. But there were a number of things. And today we're going to be looking at what was really uh, kind of the most popular topic, the most popular expression. And as I was sort of wading through and just thinking about um, what people must be feeling uh, in their lives, it was really kind of no surprise that this was uh, escalated to the very top of uh, things that people wanted to hear about. Today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus never said this, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Ever heard that before? God will never give you more than you can handle. We have given that as a promise to a person who is suffering or going through some difficulty, some challenge in their lives. And we've told them God will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, I can think of no better way to introduce our topic this morning than to go to the wisdom of uh, Michael Scott and the office. So check it out. Bill Seidman from Buffalo. Thank you. Arrow Medical Supplies in West Seneca. Thanks. And Angela's still waiting for you to approve the okay, new guidelines. You know what? If you're going to keep coming in here with work that I need to do, I'm going to need a new monitor. It's not working. Hey, Michael. Yes. Uh, do you want the Buffalo clients under new accounts or existing? I've been doing some of both. Hey, everybody wants a piece of me. So, Michael, how are you handling the Buffalo transition on your end? Great, on my end. How about your end? I think we're on the same end, Michael. Then why did you say your end? Let me be more specific. How are you personally handling the increase in responsibility? Well, I will tell you, David, I'm either doing the work or I'm not. So are you doing the work? Read it and weep. Michael, if you need us to help you with anything, mm -hmm. you just let me know, okay? I'm good. I have got a lot of balls in the air. If I wanted to be in the business of giving people bad news, I would have become a coroner or an anchorman.
Any of you ever felt like Michael there? You see his computer monitor, right? With sticky note after sticky note. You ever kind of come across this period in your life where it just feels like, like he said, everyone wants a piece of me. I know I've kind of gone through that myself, just these feelings of being overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities that sometimes they feel like they fall on you. All of the people that are asking you for things, all of the things that you believe you kind of owe to other people. And at times it can feel like it's overwhelming, right? Now, a lot of those situations that we find ourselves in, we actually put ourselves in those situations. That's what I've done uh, far more times than not, is I have created those situations for myself. But sometimes there are things that we experience in this life that seem to be largely disconnected from any of our personal choices. That there are certain things that just kind of happen or circumstances that we find ourselves in. And it has often been said to that person who is going through some difficulty, through some challenge, through suffering, God will never give you more than you can handle. Did you know that the Bible doesn't actually say that? Did you know that Jesus never, as far as we know, as far as the written record is concerned, those words were never uttered from the lips of Jesus, that God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, have you ever had somebody say that to you? Anybody experienced that before? Right? And you're not friends with that person anymore, right? They're out of your life forever, right? Because it's insensitive, right? When somebody's going through some difficult time to tell them, God will never give you more than you can handle. They want to punch you in the face. Now, uh, before we get into it, there's a few other uh, things that are kind of related to this that I want to recommend to you. You don't say this to a person who's suffering. You never say, hey, well, God must really think a lot of you. Ever hear that one before? Or, well, God must know just how strong you are, right? All of these kind of, uh, these, these little quippy sayings are intended to convey the idea that there is a certain measure of things that you are able as a human being to handle and that God will never, ever, ever allow for more than you can handle to exceed, like to, to get past that line, to essentially fill the cup and then cause it to overflow. But the question is, is that true? Because you and I, we've experienced the opposite, I think. Most of us have, as we have walked through life, we have experienced in reality the opposite of that. Like, no, I have actually had the experience of having more than I can handle. Have you ever walked with somebody as they were dying? Like somebody that you love, somebody that was very near, very close to you, a spouse, a child. Would you ever say to a person who lost a child, oh, well, God would never give you more than you can handle? Of course not. Right? He ever walked with a friend through some traumatic thing that is just beyond words, right? There's no comforting words that you can offer to that person. There's no advice. There's nothing to say. The only thing that you can do is kind of be with that person through that time. The words escape those experiences, right? You would never say, well, God will not give you more than you can handle because the reality is, no, this is more than I can handle. Maybe you're walking through that right now. Maybe the circumstances of your life are such that you would say, no, I have more in my life than I can handle right now. Like if you've ever declared bankruptcy, you've experienced the financial version of having more than you can handle, right? Like I can't pay my bills. I'm never going to be able to pay my bills. And so I need a way out of this thing so that I can start over. Right? People have walked through a variety of circumstances 
and experiences in their lives that would suggest the opposite, that sometimes we do actually walk through more than we can handle. Here's the problem with the saying. At least, here's a couple of problems with the saying. The first problem is that um, if you interpret what's happening in your life as God being responsible for it all, then the idea of God not giving you more than you can handle is going to lead you to the conclusion that all the bad stuff that's happening in my life, God's doing that. Right? That's the conclusion that you ultimately have to come to. That God, he is in control of everything. And because he's in control of everything, he is in control of what is happening in my life. And so therefore, it must be to his credit, all of the bad stuff that's going on in my life right now. This very bad kind of phase of life that I'm in, this funk that I find myself in, this just being overwhelmed with all of the stuff that I feel like is creeping in on me, that God is doing all the bad stuff that's happening to me. That's the problem with that saying. That God will never give you more than you can handle. You see, when bad things happen, we're often looking for a reason, for something or someone to blame, right? Like something bad happens, our minds immediately go to, well, what caused that bad thing to happen? Because we live in the real world of cause and effect. We do certain things and we expect the laws of physics to follow the rules, right? The rule of cause and effect. If I push you, then you will fall down. And so it happens with our circumstances. When something happens, specifically as we're talking about it today, when something bad happens, we wonder, well, what was the cause for that? And some people think that God is the reason or the cause for that thing. Or at best, that God could have prevented or kept this bad thing from happening, but he didn't. And then it's like, well, what do I do with that? And then beyond that, if God is credited with all of the bad stuff that's happening in our lives. And if it's true that God will never give me more than I can handle, how do I even know that I'm actually at my limit? How do I know that right now, for as bad as I feel as it is, as overwhelmed as I may be, as full as my cup may seem, how do I know that well, God's not actually going to give me more? Right? Because I'm still living. I'm still breathing. So apparently I could handle at least a little bit more, right? And so it causes this erosion in our confidence in God and our understanding of kind of like how some of the stuff works. Now, listen, we're going we're gonna to talk about, uh, you know, a variety of things today. And there are, th there's no scientific method that is ultimately going to provide us with the reasons for why things happen, how to keep certain things from happening, like that, like, Throw that all out the window because there, we're living human life here uh, on the planet Earth. How many of you know that it, there, a lot of things happen for which we have no reason or understanding? It's just that, that's, that, that's just the reality. And, and I think it's fair for us to wonder and to meditate on what, what do we do with that? Not, not how do I fix everything? Because I already know I can't fix everything. But what do I, what do, I do with that. Now, um, let's begin by just kind of looking at a verse of Scripture that I think is oftentimes used to uh, fortify the idea that God will never give you anything, will never give you anything more than you can handle. Uh, I believe a lot of times it comes out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we'll be there for just a few moments as we look at what Paul says 
um, about, about, about temptation. And sometimes I think that this, the, the, the series of verses is misappropriated to some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in or some of the suffering even that we have to endure. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now you've heard uh, kind of wisdom that sounds a lot like this, right? Like, hey, uh, <laughs> Uh, don't, 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 don't be so proud, right? Because um, pride comes before destruction, right? Uh, this haughty spirit comes before the fall, right? And Paul says, there, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, that is, for that person who thinks that they are actually standing on their own two feet, that they do have the strength to bear up under what life throws at them, which might um, describe many of us here in this place today. Like, I would guess, I'd venture to guess, since most of you left your homes, uh, that like you're not, you're not about to just like give up, like on life and everything. Uh, that 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 you're you, the the spectrum of the experiences that we have may be very very varied, but I would guess that most of you, you're not at what we would call your the end of the rope. Right? That, like, you're just kind of holding on, gripping on for dear life. You might be, but I would guess most of you are not, right? Because a lot of times when we find ourselves in that place, like, we can barely function. And you guys, you guys, you came to church today. So you must be doing okay, right? To some degree. Now, some of you might even feel like, well, no, you're standing tall. You're standing firm, right? Uh, as far as you're concerned, the, the trajectory of your life is, like, it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty smooth. Uh, you might even think that your life as you're living it is just fine and uh, there's nothing that necessarily needs to be uh, corrected or at least nothing that's any particular big deal. Paul says, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's, look at your feet and actually look at the ground that you're standing on right now because you might not even be able to notice it, but that ground could be very, very shaky beneath your feet as firm as you may be standing. Now, uh, when Paul says this, he is, uh, if you read all of 1 Corinthians 10, you'll find that he is alluding back to the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, the Israelites had this period of time in their history where they were like in the land in between, in between the slavery of Egypt, but prior to going into the promised land, they wandered around in the wilderness for many, many years. And Paul says when they wandered in the wilderness, they desired evil. And now he is using the example of their, uh, of their lives to, to encourage his readers, do not follow that example. In fact, he says in the early part of 1 Corinthians 10, do not desire evil as they did. Right, that they, as they were wandering in the wilderness, here are some of the things that Paul accuses them of. First of all, he accuses them of idolatry. That they began serving and worshiping other gods. And then he says they tested the Lord. That they had this tendency to constantly push against the boundaries that God had established for them as his people. Right? They would walk up to the line, you know, that separated between right and wrong. And then they kind of like dangle their foot over and see if anything happened. 
right? Kind of give it one of these, see if anything happened, and nothing happens. And so then they stepped into and over the line, and then they looked and waited, and nothing happened, and they took another step. And pretty soon they were so deep into their temptation and their sin, they couldn't even recognize from where they came. Right? That's what it means that they were testing the Lord, constantly putting, is God actually going to judge me for this? Is God actually going to punish me for this? And Paul says that was one of their errors. He says they gave into sexual immorality, right? That they, instead of worshiping God and remaining faithful in their covenants uh, before God and with one another, they, were, they had given into sexual immorality. And then if none of those things have ever affected your life, if you've never uh, committed idolatry or tested the Lord or committed sexual immorality, then the fourth thing that Paul mentions is they grumbled. They grumbled a lot. And in doing that, they were rejecting God. What, what Paul is describing here is that they, they, they were giving in to their propensity for evil, the craving, the desires that they had for evil. How many of you know that those are desires that you and I have and share with them as well, right? The fact that we're human beings means that we have cravings. We have an appetite for evil, an appetite for what is wrong. And Paul says, don't give in. Don't be like them. Don't follow their example. Why? Because Paul understands that uh, the appetite for evil is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. And that's why when they first stepped over the line, right, and nothing happened, uh, and they satisfied the craving, they satisfied the appetite that they had, that um, at some point the appetite came back. And what they did before didn't satisfy the appetite this time. And so they had to take another step because that's how temptation and sin works. And Paul says, before you know it, you who thought you were so strong and that you were standing firm have fallen. But then Paul says, listen, here's my encouragement for you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That is, you will not experience a temptation that the common uh, realm of humanity hasn't also experienced. Have you ever felt like you were kind of walking through something or feeling something or had some craving or some desire and you thought it was kind of unique to you? You thought, I must be the only person in the room who's feeling this way right now. I must be the only person who's actually walking through this thing, right? You look around this room, you see, all, look at all these really good Christian people. Look at them. Oh, all these people that love God. In fact, I saw, um, you say, I saw some of them putting their hands in the air when we were singing. They must really love Jesus, right? And when you leave, you're going to see, you know, people will, will put their communication card in the offering bucket because they're obedient, right? You're like, wow, that must be a really good Christian. Right? We look at each other and we have these observations and we, we cast these judgments, good or bad, uh, upon each other. A lot of times we find, you know, that we're, we feel like we're, we're the only person kind of going through this experience. But Paul says, listen, there's no temptation that you've experienced that is not common to the human experience. But listen to what he says. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now that starts to sound a lot like our words for today, right? Things that Jesus would never say, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, I think that that 
idea comes out of, again, a misappropriation of what Paul's talking about here. Paul says that when it comes to temptation, or testing even, because that word conveys a variety of meanings. It can mean temptation. It can mean a period of testing that we undergo in our lives. He says, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. How many of you know that no matter how deep the temptation is that you may be feeling, you cannot blame anything or anyone for giving into that temptation but yourself, right? That there's, it, you cannot actually say, well, the temptation was too great, and so I gave into that. Paul said, God will never, ever let you be tempted beyond your ability. And then he says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a really interesting combination of words if you think about it. He says, with that temptation that presents itself in your life, God will provide a way of escape. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word escape, but when I hear escape, I hear, I think of separation. I think of like escaping. I think of getting away from something. And he says, but that you may be able to endure it. And I think that's where, like, we bring in this shade of meaning that Paul's not just simply talking about temptation. He's talking about the testing that we experience in our lives as well. Because what was Paul thinking when he said way of escape? Like, what was going on in his mind when he's talking about, like, what does it mean to have a way of escape? A way to get out? Um, well, I think that what Paul's doing here is he is— alluding to something or hinting at something that is outside of ourselves, right? Because um, we have this tendency to think that what we're supposed to do is, um, is bear up under temptation, that we're supposed to bear up under the testing right, that we might experience through circumstances in our lives. But Paul seems to be suggesting that there's something outside of ourselves that actually provides the means of escape. So then we kind of move to the question of, well, does God tempt me then? So here it says that God will never allow me to be tempted beyond my ability, right, he, that I won't have more or experience more temptation, or that I will not be tested in something that I am unable to handle. But does God tempt me? Does God, is God responsible for that tempting? Is God responsible for the one who puts that thing in front of me? And James, I think, answers this question very well for us. James 1, verses 13 and 14 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Like, if you've ever had um, the temptation to say of your temptation that God is tempting you, James says, don't say that, because it's against the nature of God. He says, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You ever thought about that when it comes to God? You probably thought that sometimes when you undergo temptation in your life, that that was God's way of testing you and your faithfulness. That he puts something in front of you that he knows you love, that he knows you want, and then he kind of just sits back and waits and sees, hmm, I wonder if he or she's going to go for it. Well, James here tells us that God, he can't be tempted. 
neither does he tempt anyone. That it is outside of his nature to do that. That is not the business of the Godhead. In fact, James says, here's where temptation actually comes from. Not from God, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's where our temptations come from. It comes from the desires that live inside of every single one of us. You will, in fact, experience in your life temptation that feels like it is impossible to resist. You ever, you ever said to yourself, I should not eat that, but then you ate it, right? Now, that's kind of silly nonsense stuff, right? Like, it's no big deal, but it illustrates the point. Like, there's, there's times where we know that is bad for me. That's going to that's gonna make me feel not good. Like, I'm, I'm, it's going to make me feel a little sick. Or it's going to maybe be the falling off the cart, off the wagon here for this diet that I'm trying so hard to subscribe to. Like, I know if I give in once, it's going to be like, forget it. And yet sometimes we do, right? Like that temptation feels like it's just so strong. We have a dog. Her name is Shammy. She's a golden doodle. So she, uh, in my estimation, has this brilliant combination of uh, pretty smart, which is not the golden. Um, so she's pretty smart and also very, you know, very nice, very loving, very kind. She's got that kind of golden retriever personality. She is she is very obedient. Like, uh, she's very obedient. You, if you came and saw her, you see, I have absolute command over this animal. I, I tell her to come, she comes. I tell her to get, she gets. Uh, whatever, she's often, like, when we're in the room together, she's like, I can tell. She's taking cues from me, wondering how do I want for her to behave right now. She's very obedient. I could set, I could set Shammy right here, um, and I could put just a pile of dog treats, like, right here. And... Uh, close enough that she could smell them, close enough she could practically taste them. If I told her to stay, she would stay. She really would. Like she would, and, and you would see it all over her. She would barely be able to contain herself, right? She'd be licking her chops. She'd be whining. She'd be just like wondering, when is my master going to prove himself a good master and let me go and consume all these treats? But she wouldn't do it. At least not as long as I was in the room. Right? Because how many of you know that there's a statute of limitations when it comes to a command that you give to a dog? Right? As soon as I was gone. She'd make her way over there and she'd start to nibble and bite. And pretty soon that whole pile of treats would be gone. Right? That, that's, that's how temptation works in our lives. It lures and entices us. Right? That's where that source comes from. It is not God who does it. And so what we have when we say God will never give you more than you can handle, we have this misappropriation. The reality is what God will never do is he will never tempt you beyond what you can handle. God will never put you through a test that is beyond what you can handle. Okay? But there is a difference between temptation and suffering. Right? Like when you say to a person who's going through some really difficult experience and you say to them, well, God will never give you more than you can handle, that may not actually be true. Because temptation and suffering are handled very differently from one another. Do you know how to handle temptation? 
You sit down right next to it, right? No? Oh, okay. Everybody's like, that doesn't sound right, but he wouldn't lie to us, would he? No, what do you do with temptation? You run away, right? You run away. You get as far and as fast away from that thing as you possibly can. I don't think, um, I don't think that it's in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the, the recommendation that when a person comes into the program, that their sponsor, whoever's leading the group, I don't think that they set that person down. They say, all right, here's what you got to do. I want you to go to uh, the grocery store, or if you're from Massachusetts, the package store. Um, and I want you to buy as much alcohol as you can, like all of it. Like buy hard alcohol of all different kinds and flavors. Buy um, do you call it soft alcohol? I don't know. Uh, whatever the opposite of a hard alcohol. Buy it all, right? And, and put that in your cabinets. Put that on your counters at home as a reminder of just how strong you are. Can you imagine like how terrible that advice would be? Right? We wouldn't tell a person to do that. We wouldn't say, hey, I want you to demonstrate your strength by staying as close to this temptation as you possibly can without actually giving into it. No, we wouldn't do that with temptation. We run from temptation. But how many of you know that when it comes to suffering, that is not an option? You want to, right? Like you don't want to walk through this difficult episode in your life. You don't want to put up with the circumstances that seem to kind of define your very existence right now. If you could, you'd get out. If you could, you'd run away. If you could, you'd trade it in for something else, right? But suffering doesn't always work that way. In fact, Paul gives us some insight into some of the suffering that he experienced. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, uh, Paul here is telling his readers that he has had the most incredible uh, spiritual experiences. Now, uh, those of you who have studied the Bible or been in the Bible for some time, you know Paul, he wrote a lot of it, right? A lot of the New Testament, Paul was responsible for writing. We're talking about a person that, is, uh, you know, a, is about as near to God as you can get, right? Far nearer to God than I am or that you are, right? This guy, I mean, he experienced absolutely incredible miraculous, supernatural things, things that you and I only read about. But here's what Paul says in light of those experiences and even some of the deeper revelation that God had given to him. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God had given to him, in order to keep him from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan, he describes it, to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. That is that God, in light of the experience that I had and the call that was on my life, actually countermeasured that experience by giving me a thorn in the flesh. Something that would harass me. Something that, again, Paul describes as a messenger of Satan. And what was that thorn in the flesh? Some of you have studied this passage of Scripture and you've read the commentaries on what 
possibly could have been this thorn that Paul was dealing with. The reality is we don't know what it was. Was it some physical ailment that was crippling him from uh, ministry and from ultimately kind of doing all that he wanted to do? We don't know. Was it some uh, spiritual, unseen kind of force? Uh, like he says, a messenger of Satan. Was there something kind of going on in the realm of the spiritual that just was this constant, unending attack on Paul's life? We don't know. Was it a woman? Probably not. But could have been a person, right? Or people. Paul says, a thorn was given me in the flesh to keep me from becoming conceited. Now listen to how he responded to this thing that was going on in his life. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times, which I find really interesting. That he pleaded with God for three times. You ever gone through some just harrowing experience in your life? You don't pray to God three times, right? You pray to God a thousand times. You pray over and over and over again. It's constantly on your mind. It constantly has your attention. So I don't know if Paul is just conveying the idea that three times he went all out before God. Maybe he was fasting and praying. Maybe he removed himself from uh, direct ministry and the company of other people to just be alone with God. But uh, whatever it was, it was this deep and entrenched kind of pleading with God. God, remove this thing from me. Three times he did it. Why? Because he recognized God could stop it. Whatever it was. God could remove it. We wonder sometimes why, like, why doesn't God answer our prayers? And we're tempted sometimes to think, well, maybe my faith just isn't strong enough. Right? Maybe I'm not, maybe these doubts that I'm feeling are, those are the things that are getting in the way from God actually being able to answer my prayer. Uh, wouldn't you agree that Paul was probably in the driver's seat when it came to a deep-seated faith? That there was probably nothing for which Paul did not believe God for because of the experiences that he had in his life. I don't think his faith was a problem. He knew that God could have stopped it. He knew that God could have removed it. But here's the issue. When it comes to sin and temptation, there is, often, there is a way of escape, right? That's the promise that's made to us in the Bible. But with suffering, how many of you know there often isn't? There often isn't. Because if there were, we'd run, we'd, we'd, we'd run for the hills as quickly as we could. But sometimes that suffering is a calling that we have to walk through. And in fact, here's what Paul says was God's response to him when he said three times, I pleaded, I begged, I cried out to God with all that is in me. Remove this thing from me. We don't know what it was, but we know that it is about the most debilitating thing that Paul probably could have imagined. And so when you walk through that same kind of saga yourself where you're going through something that feels bigger, deeper, more incredible than you ever could have imagined, remember what God said to Paul and he says to us. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. We think that God's power is demonstrated in power. Right? That when I'm powerful, that is God's glory and power being demonstrated. But the reality is God's power is found and is richest in our weakness. And that's why we'll find such passages in the Bible as what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Not that, listen, when you feel like you have more than you can handle, don't worry, God's going to rescue you. That's not what Peter said. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties or casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's what we do with our suffering. That's what we do with the tragedies that we walk through in this life. And you know what's interesting about that is how counterintuitive it is. That what you and I do, what we are primed to do at the very earliest age is move toward independence. I think about how dependent you were when your mom and dad cradled you in, your, in their arms. Like if the house was burning down, you were out of luck unless somebody carried you out the door. Because you had no independence, right? But then all of a sudden you started becoming mobile. Eventually you started walking. Eventually you started talking. Now you could actually make your desires known. And we move more and more and more toward independence. That's what it means to grow and mature, right? I have two teenage, uh, teenage, I used to have two teenage. I have two daughters in college, uh, still living at home, but have like made great strides toward independence. Our youngest is 15 years old now. He's going to be driving in a month. When the state of Maine deems it appropriate to hand him a license, it's going to open a whole new world of independence for him, right? That's the, that's the trajectory of our lives. We move toward more and more independence, more and more autonomy, right? We want to be independent, but the way it works when you're a follower of Jesus is exactly the opposite. The more and more you come to grow in your faith in Christ, the more and more dependent you actually become on him. That's what Paul, I mean, like, we're never even going to get to the place where Paul was. And Paul didn't say, through this great faith that I have grown in, that I have arrived at in my life, I was able to bear up under every circumstance that was hurled at me, every insult, every injury, every time somebody came against me, I was able to handle it, right? Because God would never give me more than I could handle. No, the reality is you will have more than you can handle. And in those moments, it is then that we are best ready to learn the lesson of how much we need God and how God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul closes with this. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is, I'm not going to brag about all the amazing things that I have done or accomplished or that I have witnessed, 
Those aren't the things I'm going to brag about. I'm going to brag about my weaknesses. I'm going to brag about the times when I didn't have enough in the tank. I'm going to brag about the times that I failed. I'm going to brag about those times when I found myself at my wit's end with more balls in the air than I could possibly manage. Why? Because it was in that moment that the power of Christ came and rested on me, which I think is a beautiful expression as he is thinking about uh, uh, the, the tabernacle upon which the glory of God rested. When Paul says uh, the power of Christ resting upon him, that word rest means to tabernacle or to pitch a tent. That's how the word can be translated. And I think he's thinking back hundreds of years to when the Israelites again were in the wilderness wandering around. And there was this tabernacle, this tent that they had pitched upon which the presence of God would rest. And when the cloud would be lifted and begin to move, the Israelites would follow. And then as it descended, they knew that is where they would set up camp. And as they repitched the tent, the glory of God that represented the presence of God came and covered that tabernacle again. And Paul says that's exactly how it works in your life and in mine. That in my weakness, it is there that the presence of God can most be felt. You've probably experienced, if you've been walking with God any length of time at all, you know that it's, it's, it's generally not on these mountaintop experiences, on the highs of our lives when we tend to feel God the most. In fact, it's probably the opposite. Those are the times we have a tendency to kind of forget about God or think I don't need God or think that things are good and it's just like God doesn't really take first place in my mind. But then when I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death, when I find myself facing more than I can handle, it is there so oftentimes I am driven back to the cross. I'm driven back into the loving arms of my heavenly father. And it is there that I find his power is made perfect in my weakness. So if Jesus never said, God will never give you more than you can handle, what did he say? Well, a few things that Jesus said are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you feel poor and destitute in your spirit this morning, the promise that Jesus makes to you is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not blessed are those that, are, that mourn because the thing that they're mourning over is going to be removed from them. No, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. They shall be embraced. They shall be surrounded by the presence of their heavenly father. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. So I close with this as we get ready to just kind of close out our time together. We'll sing one more song in just a moment. Let me reiterate the truth of what I think that we want to get from God's word today. And that is that God wants us to grow in our dependence on him. And the, temp the, the, the testing, the, the trials, the suffering that we often undergo as human beings in this world are opportunities for us to find the greatest lesson on what it means to depend on Jesus. And then secondly, if you happen to be in this place right now where it feels like everything is going great and everything is fine, like that you don't have more than you can handle right now, that is an awesome, wonderful place to be. And I want to encourage you to go and find somebody who has more than they can handle. Because the reality is if you don't have more than you can handle, there's somebody else who does. And that's what it means to be the body of Christ. 
and to come together for one another and to bear one another's burdens. We're not always going to escape our suffering, but we can certainly make it easier for others to walk through it if we'll walk along with them. And we'll be able to walk through it more easily ourselves if we will again put our dependence and our trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word this morning. I just pray, would you speak to our hearts today? I pray especially for those maybe that are feeling so discouraged about where they see their lives right now and what life feels like to them. Maybe it's full of disappointment. Maybe it's full of regret. Maybe it's full of just opportunities lost. Maybe it's full of this hopelessness, feeling like it's never going to get better. Lord, I pray that in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that trial, would you just help each person to sense your love and your power in their lives today. Help us not to turn to anything else but you. Because we can find that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And so, Lord, we give you the circumstances of our lives today. We do as we are encouraged to do through James. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Show us your love, Lord. Demonstrate it day after day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.